Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6 as we begin our study today. For the Lord giveth wisdom. We see where the source of wisdom comes, comes from. It is a gift. And he says he will give it. The Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Now we know this is referring to his word. The word that you hold uh, in your lap. In fact, the scripture says, as we saw on, at the midweek study, that above God has exalted his word or magnified his word above his own name. And so we come in fear and trembling to the word of God, knowing that what he has said is true and he'll perform and bring to pass all that he's spoken. Verse 7, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler that is a shield to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant as thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward or perverse things, who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, and who rejoice to do evil, and delight in the perverseness, the forwardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they forward, again, that word perverse, in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the end. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. As we've mentioned, God is the originator of wisdom. Verse 6 tells us that out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding do not come from the mouths of politicians or educators or philosophers or scientists. That's where most people go to get their wisdom, their instruction, it does not come from palm readers or astrologers or soothsayers. None of these add one precept to the wisdom of God. People may make seemingly wise statements. They may have cunning words. They may seem uh, show their great intelligence and, and tell us of things that we, we might not even know how to explain. I, I read things sometimes and have to read it and reread it and say, what are they saying there? You hear some... Uh, well-renowned person describes some theory, and, and, and you just say, well, I don't understand what they're saying. Uh, they must know what they're talking about. They use such big words. But people may make seemingly wise statements or observations about life or nature or other topics. For time to time, people, you know, science will just make some definitive dec declarative statement, uh, like the world is, you know, going to end tomorrow or whatever, you know, some, something, or, and the, the current discussion of climate warming and all that kind of thing. And they just say it, and they give some, stat, uh, some statistics and that kind of thing. But only the Lord giveth wisdom. Science can come up with facts. History can come up with what has taken place. Philosophy can come up with theories of why things happen the way they do. Psychology, all these areas of learning. But only wisdom only comes from the Lord. That's why it's distinguished above all things. Please don't confuse wisdom with facts or intelligence. 
We know a lot of smart people who say there is no God. And what does the scripture say about them? They are fools. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. So wisdom here, please understand as we're studying the book of Proverbs, it's not an IQ level. It's not how much a person knows or how outstanding in their field of study they may be. Wisdom is from God, and so it is spiritual. It, it is these things the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 are spiritually discerned. The soul hears the word of God with spiritual ears. You remember Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Eyes to see, let him see. Well, those are eyes that have been opened by the Spirit and ears that are attuned to the frequency of heaven. Verse 7 tells us that we will, uh, that we will also find the object of wisdom. The Lord layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Now, the word layeth there comes from the same Hebrew word to, that means hide in verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. We lay up things. We hide things. Sometimes we hide things to, so we'll know where they are and forget where they are. I share with you recently, I overheard this woman say that she hid all of her jewelry in her sock drawer, except she didn't remember she did that. She'd had workmen in the house. She accused them of doing it. She went to the, the, the boss of the place and filed a, a, a complaint. I mean, went to all kinds of lengths, so sure she was that somebody had stolen her, her jewels. And she was embarrassingly telling her coworker, she said, uh, and I, 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 the months after it, I was cleaning out my, the sock drawer, and there they all were, stuck away in a sock. Well, she laid it up, hadn't she? But she didn't know where it was. So when you lay up something, the idea is to hide it or to, to, for safekeeping. This means to lay up or hide as one would hide a treasure. The wicked may look for wisdom, but they cannot find it. Even I heard some men who stole a, something recently, and then they, they used the device that they stole to post on Facebook or something. Well, they told all that, they, you know, that's very foolish. They committed the crime and they documented themselves and filmed it and the, they were easily found. Well, that's not very wise, is it? It's not very smart. But even the righteous must dig for wisdom. You see here it's depicted as jewels or gold hidden in a mine. It's there, it's available, but it must be sought after. It must be worked for. The Bible tells us to exercise ourselves unto godliness. The reason some people never progress spiritually, they're lazy. They just, like the student who puts his history book under his pillow and wants to wake up and know the facts and then wonders why he fails the history test the next day, the spiritual truths are not gotten that way. We must exercise ourselves and dig and work and study and listen and pray. And so the Lord does not reward laziness. Just keep that. That'll be something that'll help you out today. Those who find the treasure of God search for it. They dig for it. They read these things and they, they make a practice. They have a plan. They're studying the word of God. They attend to the preaching and the teaching of, of God's word. Those who find the treasure of God search and dig for it. You know, the, there's a story in the New Testament about a man who finds a, a, a vast treasure in a field. What a, what a wonderful thing that was. And he sold everything to buy that field because the field had the treasure. That's the picture of someone searching for and valuing the things that God values. There's an old saying, and you've heard me say it, we usually find what we're looking for. The thing is, most people aren't looking for these things. Oh, they can be had. We sometimes look at a blessed life or a life of someone, a godly life, and sometimes even God's people will look kind of jealously at that person. And it's a sad thing. Because what God will do for one, he'll do for another. 
But if you see a blessed life, uh, uh, the, the Psalm 1 kind of life, a man like a tree planted by rivers of water, you, you, you can rest assured there's some things that are going on there. The spirituality doesn't happen in a vacuum. His roots are growing, aren't they? And they're planted by the right place. Where are they? They're by the spout where the blessings flow out. They're planted by rivers of water. He's, where, he's near to the things of God. He prizes what God prizes. Where you, you find the Lord and his people, you'll find that blessed man there. There's no, there's no mystery to it. There's no secret to it. And you find someone who submits themselves to God's word. The, the Lord, they not only recognize this as the word of God, they say, I'm going to live by it to the best of my ability. I'm going to put it into practice. And so uh, these things are given to us here so that all can see and benefit by them. Now we see in verse 7 uh, the word sound wisdom. He layeth up sound wisdom. That is stability, something we don't see a whole lot of in our world around us. Don't you see just instability everywhere? The psalmist says, if the foundations be destroyed. Those things, government, home, things that was once held dear, these, uh, we see it changing all around us, in our nation, in our uh, uh, political mindset, in our uh, own homes. The, what is regarded as, as truth and the family and all those things are, are being called into question. But this is stability, and I think it's something that every child of God secretly yearns for, the stability that we find only in the Lord. And that's exactly what's missing in so many lives today. There's a fickleness here, there, on again, off again, just like following the Scripture talks about following every wind of doctrine, just like the uh, uh, dandelion, when you blow it in the wind, just flying all over the place. Solomon is saying that only those who find God's wisdom have stability in their lives. One of the things that marks the unsaved is this instability. God wants to give us wisdom so that we can withstand the storms of life. It is not that the blessed man is not going to go through hard times or broken hearts or death of loved ones or storms that rack the very... Remember the scripture says that he that built his house upon a rock, the storm beat on it too, didn't it? The difference is the, the one's house wasn't built on sound wisdom. What happened to it? His life fell apart. The one whose house was built on a firm foundation went through the storm, may have lost some shingles, but he, he remained through that storm, and the Lord rebuilds him and holds him up. That's what the Scripture is talking about here. Uh, it's, and Matthew 7 is the picture of that. God's wisdom guides us back to make wise choices. So often we say, I don't know what to do. Well, what do we do in this situation like that? We always ask ourselves, what does the Scripture say? That's the first thing. When we don't know what to do, we say, what saith the Lord? And then somebody would say, well, Brother Lamb, it doesn't have the kind of car I'm supposed to buy or the job I'm supposed to take. And then, then what do I do? Then you begin to seek deeper. Where God's word speaks clearly about something, that's, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Abstain from the appearance of evil. That's a, that's a no-brainer. There's so, so many guidelines in the scripture that, you know, thou shalt not steal. Well, I don't have to wonder about if I need a car, whether I steal my neighbor's car or not. That's given, isn't it? Thou shalt not steal. And so, but what, what if it... Uh, we need some clarification there. Then the Lord gives us principles like we see in the scriptures, the ways to help discern the will of God. Is it honest? Is it true? Is it right? Is this in keeping with God's word? Is it against the clear direction of the people of God that we have laid for us in the scriptures? So when we're studying the scriptures, we look for principles to live by. God is speaking, and God's wisdom guides us to make wise choices. There's no reason why a child of God should make a foolish choice. And if he does, he learns from it, doesn't he? Okay, that didn't work. I've been there, done that. I'm not going to do that again. 
You know, when Abraham went down to Egypt, he learned his lesson, didn't he? Should have. No, we're not going to Egypt because God said, don't go to Egypt. And uh, when, when we make a mistake or when we sin, the, the, we should learn from it and say, I don't have to repeat that, that mistake again. Uh, my, my late father-in-law who passed this church, when he pastored way out in St. Clair County, he was visiting some of his members, and they, they lived way up on, in, on a hill in a, in a house, a little humble house. And he was going to, the woman was sick and had been, was covering from illness, and he'd made several visits to the home. Back then, people weren't in the hospital. They were at home, and, you know. And so he said he went up the hill, and he fell in the hole. There was a hole there in the driveway, and he fell in. He had to park. It was way you couldn't get there. You had to park way down here, and you know how the, old, the driveway was washed out, rutted out. And, and he had to walk up to the house, and he fell. And so he, about the next week, he came back to visit again. He said, lo and behold, I fell in the same hole. Hobbled up to the house. And then it, 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 the third, finally, he said, the third time I, I came along there, he said, I took a stob and dove it up in that hole and so that I would know it was there the next time. You know, you may fall one time. You may fall two times. But there's, after that, there's really no excuse, is it? You need to get a stob and dig it and nail it up and say, there's a hole here. And if I have to come this way again, I'm not going to step in there. He sprained his ankle, he said. You know, and then he re-sprung it. Or whatever, I guess it's, I don't know if that's the right terminology. And so I always think of that is we can all fall into a hole. That's, there's a possibility there. If we're looking clearly, we shouldn't. But if we do, we shouldn't have to repeat that mistake over and over again. Well, there are all kinds of guidelines. Let me just give you one. And we learned I, I, these guidelines that we see in Proverbs. This, the Proverbs says, uh, you know, God gives us wisdom to make wise choices. And one that comes to mind, make no friends with an angry man. The, the Bible says that. Someone who's just destructively angry, they're tearing, their life is falling apart, they're, they're lashing out at everybody. You see these people, they're fighting their own private war, aren't they? Everything and anything comes in their way. It's a fight. The Bible says steer clear of a person like that because you know what? You're going to get hit. <laughs> they're they're going to lash out at you, and you can't, you can't do anything with them until they calm down, until they won't help. And when they're out there lashing, fighting, hitting everything that comes its way, the Bible says make no friends with an angry man. And what friendship, some, uh, literally they're an association. You wouldn't go into business with somebody like that, would you? You wouldn't uh, purposely marry someone that way. You see, these are guidelines that are clearly uh, illustrated there for us. Well, why? Why would you say, uh, what, don't make a friendship with an angry man? Well, they're destructive, aren't they? They're tearing up stuff. They're destroying themselves, and they will destroy you. They will hurt you. And so that's just wise principle to live by. And so we begin to look at personalities, whether a person is submitted to the Lord do they live a quiet, peaceable, controlled life? Are the fruit of the Spirit obvious in their lives? The wise man will build their lives, the people will build their lives on the rock of God's Word. And the, the rock is Jesus Christ, isn't it? We look to Him as our guide, our leader, our uh, God in every how He dealt with people. He spoke the truth in love. He... Uh, went about his business, he was absolutely fixated to do the Lord's will. I must do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Nothing got in his way of that. Nothing would deter him from doing his Father's will. And we could go on and on about the life of our, our Lord. The winds and storms come. They come to every household, every family, every individual. No one is exempt. Every one of us will bear burdens, have grieving hearts, We'll have situations that are beyond our control, disappointments, failures. We could go on and on. Being saved does not exempt us from that. If anything, they seem to intensify. 
uh, Satan because we have the world, the flesh, and the devil against us. An unsaved person doesn't have those enemies. Do you know that? Have you ever thought, stopped to consider that? The, the scripture tells only the believer that we have the world, the flesh, and the, the unsaved person is doing what the flesh wants, so that's not his enemy. The, the world is in the world and of the world, so the world's not his enemy. He's, the devil is his father. He's, he's, he's following along with a hook in his nose. He has none of those problems that you and I struggle with every day, this whole flesh. My biggest enemy is Chris Lamb. I have to put him in his place every day, all day long. From the moment I wake up, where, you know, I wake up and have set aside a time to spend with the Lord, guess what? The body says, no, not today. I don't want to do that. Uh, when I have the time of exercise, the old knees say, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not what we want to do today. We're not doing this today. And I have to tell myself, yes, you will. You're going to, you're going to accomplish these things. Well, the wise men build their lives on the one who says, I am the truth. That's the way to go, isn't it? He who is absolute truth, that's the one we want to follow. Remember what his disciple says, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of truth. So we... Uh, to use the vernacular, we hang to Je- hang with Jesus, don't we? We stay with him. We don't wander from him. T.H. Huxley, the scientist, agnostic, and the close friend of Darwin, Darwin, Charles Darwin, based his life on human opinions. Could there be anything more fickle to live your life by than what people think? For a while, he lived in a small country town in England. One Sunday morning, he said to a friend, I suppose you're going to church. The man affirmed that he was. Suppose you stay home with me instead, said Huxley, and talk to me about your religion. No thanks, the friend replied. You're too clever for me, Huxley. I couldn't hope to refute your arguments. Huxley looked at him and said, Suppose you simply told me what your religion has done for you. The other man agreed to stay home on those terms. Throughout the morning, he shared his faith in the risen Christ with the famous champion of unbelief. With the suspicion of a tear in his eye, Huxley finally said, I would give my right hand if I could believe that. Huxley went through life encased in the armor of his own worldly cleverness. The celebrated and famous agnostic built his house on the sand. His Christian friend, on the other hand, was protected by wisdom on high. Although not nearly so clever as the skeptical Huxley, the unknown humble believer was 10,000 times wiser. Why? He had built his house on the rock. And you can send all questions to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't have an answer for the hope that's within us and all those things. But in the end, Jesus Christ has said it. We trust in his word. It is truth. And that's where we direct people. We all, what, what did Jesus say in defense to everything Satan brought against him? It is written. It is written. It is written. God's word says and that's what we do. We don't, we don't have to be ashamed of that. Sometimes I think Christians just are ashamed of well, just to give a Bible verse. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what you do. That is truth. That's what Jesus Christ did. You cannot improve on that. Now, the devil can argue. He argued with Eve, didn't he? She twisted the word of God. He argued with her. He got her off base. But you simply state the word of God and hide and rest, rest in it. Look in verse 8. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. This is the outcome of wisdom. He keepeth and preserveth. During the years after young David killed the giant Goliath, David was relentlessly pursued by King Saul, who was jealous of him. Still, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, tells us that David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself 
wisely. What a statement. Where did that wisdom come from? How did David know how to behave himself? He behaved himself wisely. It came from the law of the Lord. Remember the blessed man? He, he loves the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He thinks about He ponders. He, he prays. He reads. He considers. He obeys the law of the Lord. Saul made David commander over his armies. And still Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. There will be a certain fear uh, for the unsaved that come over the, 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 the unsaved because of the people of God. And they may not be able to define it as such. They're lashing out sometimes at God's people or because they're intimidated by a righteous life. A godly life is salt and light wherever it is. Light exposes. Light shines. Light brings things into focus. Light makes things clear. And if you're around a godly person, that light of that godly life ought to be doing that. You understand? Jesus didn't say you need to try to be light, did he? What did he say? You are the light of the world. If there's going to be any light in this world, you will be it. God has chosen in his sovereignty to glorify himself by saving sinners and letting the light, this treasure, and these earthen vessels shine through. And so, but Satan is busy, the God of this world, trying to blind their eyes to see the light of the glorious gospel. The light comes from where? The word of God. The word of God comes from where? These, remember that Paul says that you are living epistles. The unsaved will not read God's word, but they're reading your lives. They're reading our lives, our decisions, the way our lives are being lived. And that's the light. Then the Lord says you, you should not only be light, but you are salt. Not that you should try to be. What preserves the decaying of this society? If you removed the church today, took every saved person out of Birmingham, Alabama, every last saved person, can you imagine what darkness would be here? How, and the decaying process would automatically set in. And in fact, when the church is removed from here and the Antichrist comes to, to the forefront, can you imagine the, the horribleness? You think it's bad now. Not one saved person here. The effect of the, the light of the gospel shining forth from churches and institutions and believers and, and families. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what it will be like? Well, wisdom guides our steps. It guides our actions. Wisdom gives light in our darkness. Look in verse 9. Just what we're talking about. Thou shalt understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. You need light to know how to walk, don't you? headlights on your car give you just enough light to get to the next place and then just keeps on like that a bit at a time till you get all the way to where you're going. God is on the side of righteousness. This we know, don't we? When we, we look around us, we have to think, my goodness. But we know this. God is on the side of righteousness, justice, and fairness. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. This we know. His hand may not always be clearly seen in human affairs, but we know what side God is on. No matter how loud the voices are, no matter how perplexing it may seem, we know that God is always on the side of his word in any matter, individually, in the family, in the church, at work, in the nation, God is on the side of right. Now, in our prayer meeting this morning before the church, our leaders and teachers were praying, and one of the things brought before us, the Supreme Court has agreed to rule and to hear the, the, the definitive of marriage. They're going to decide officially, I would assume, if they're going to hear it, uh, if they've chosen to hear it, 
uh, they never don't say something about something they've chosen to hear. Now, one or two things can happen. They will be deadlocked, absolutely deadlocked, or they will give precedent that will then become law for every village and town in America on what constitutes a marriage. We know what constitutes a marriage, don't we? God's word in the very first chapter says, A man shall leave his, his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Man and woman, husband and wife. And that is the record down through the scriptures. That's the side that God is on. I can boldly say that because his word declares that. We have every right to pray. As we prayed this morning, we, we beseech the throne of grace. Lord, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You can make bare your arm and cause those justices to rule in righteousness. Wouldn't that be something to silence the gainsayers and for God to definitively speak? He's ordained the, the rule over us. He's allowed those people to be there. This is no, uh, nothing but that this ha- happenstance. His hand may not always be clean, uh, clear, but clearly seen in the human affairs, but it is always there. He's always working his sovereign will. Wisdom discerns the hand of the Lord in everything, or tries to. That's what prayer meetings are for. Lord, show us your way for this church. We need your blessing. We need your guidance. What are we doing but asking God to show us when we can't see? We have decisions to make. We have direction to go. Men's reason scoffs at that. But God does not always stop the rebellious immediately. We know that. Sometimes he allows, it seems, for the wicked to prevail. And for uh, part of his judgment is to let people have their way. If a nation decides it wants to have its way, even Israel, did he not leave them to themselves? And when they would not put down idolatry, he let it run its course. And then he judged it. And so... Part of God's judgment, we think of God's judgment as open-handed, very severe things, but sometimes God's judgment is just leaving people, nations, individuals, families to themselves and let them run their course and reap the benefits of rebellious living and the consequences of a life lived, lived against God. And he says, okay, that's what you want. I'll give it to you. Go ahead and do what you want to do. It seems as it always working his sovereign plan. Now, Americans have haughtily thought, well, we've been blessed and nation and the gospel's been preached here. And uh, we're, we sometimes have a spiritual pride, it seems. And it seems as if God's lifted his hands and allowing the enemy to triumph. And we see that happening uh, very clearly. I see it that way. And the, the preachers that I hear, the prophets, were always a voice in the wilderness, weren't they? In the Old Testament, the prophets, they would tell the truth, and people would say, that's just, oh, that's just Brother Lamb. You know how he is down there. You know how narrow they are. You know how they do. That's just, we've heard that since our forefathers. And uh, we live in a new day, and this is a new time. There's nothing new about sin. It's as old as the, the, the Garden of Eden. But God does not always stop the rebellious, but he ultimately will. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. There will come a day when God will set the record straight. The righteous who seek wisdom understand God's righteousness, his judgment, and his justice. Atheists and agnostics can't, can't see it because they won't. If you've chosen not to believe something, then you've just voted it out in your world. But if I decide I'm not gonna, I don't like the sun, it gets on my nerves, it's cruel and unjust, and I'm just going to decide there's no sun, it doesn't do this one thing to the sun, does it? 
sun will come up, is in the sky, and is going to do just like the sun does, regardless of my little pitiful, puny hand saying, it's not fair, or I don't like you, I don't want you to be there, I'm, a, I'm just going I don't believe in you. And that's the way people do with God. I don't believe in him. I don't, I, don't, I don't accept that kind of God. There he is. Hasn't gone anywhere. His word still stands. Removed unhindered, unchanged by all the scoffers and will even throughout eternity. God's word will stand. It is definitive. Shouldn't we consider it? Shouldn't we bow before it? Shouldn't we take it in as part of our lives and let it rule our lives? Verse 10, when wisdom entereth into thine heart. Think about this process of wisdom entering into not just your head, but your heart. And knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. When that happens, when you delight in the law of the Lord, then discretion shall preserve. You'll, have, you'll know the way to take. Living wisely, as I mentioned, is like a, a commander of a ship. N- knowing he's got to get the ship into the harbor safely. But he knows there's unseen risk and reefs that would destroy the, the... So he's going by the chart that he knows is there. And he skillfully, and even in the, at night or even in the storm, guides that ship with all of its precious cargo safely home. That's what living wisely means, living skillfully, having the, 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 the wisdom of the Lord. Oh, we need that, don't we? We need it day by day. Those who have God's wisdom have had their eyes open. I, my, my daddy used to raise bird dogs. And we raised Irish setters, and we raised uh, cocker spaniels, but basically bird, we were just dog people. <laughs> there was always a dog pen and hunting dogs, and, and uh, I loved it as a boy, to being around puppies all the time. And we'd have one litter. Uh, our, our, the mama dog would just have a litter after litter, and I always liked I watched them until their eyes opened. You know, can you imagine, that, you remember that time right before their eyes, when finally their eyes opened? And uh, I always think of that when I think of this, this phrase, that the, the, those who have God's wisdom have their eyes open. Boy, the world changes when those little puppies begin to see where they can go and run and, and, and scamper about. We no longer stumble in darkness when our eyes are opened. We have inside information. You know, the whole world looks for mysteries and secrets and those kinds of things. Here's a book of them. But God freely offers to show us his ways. Do you want to know the deep things of God? You can know them. They're here for us. They're no longer stumbling in darkness. We have this information. Wisdom lives in our hearts. And, and this, this godly knowledge is pleasant to their souls. The rest of the chapter deals with how wisdom can save us from the sinful man and the vile woman. And these areas are, uh, the Bible's very clear the, clear. the book of Proverbs is very plain about the lust of the flesh and the temptations that befall us on this journey home. Verse 11 tells us of our need for discretion. There it says, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. From what? What will it preserve you from? What will it keep you from? From people who will use you and destroy you. And they're out there, aren't they? To our young people, we're rearing in the nurture and admission of the Lord, these teenagers, there are people out there, they're like sharks in the water, Drug lords and, and pimps and all kinds of words that I know, off color. They're there, though, aren't they? There are all kinds of people who would, who would take our children and our youth. And you, not just them. We talk about the youth because they're more vulnerable or, or seemingly so. But I see adults falling like, like flies day by Who ought to know better? Who sat under gospel preaching and sound, sound preaching? And so discretion means counting the cost, weighing out all the possibilities 
looking before you leap. Now, the world lives by this mantra, live and learn. That's what they say. Oh, live and learn. But do you know what God's wisdom is? Learn and then live. You see, we don't have to make those mistakes. We rejoice in the grace and the mercy of God. And I want you to know God's mercy is so deep and his grace is so amazing. He can say from the guttermost to the uttermost, there's not a person under the sound of my voice that God's grace cannot save you and change you and deliver you. He breaks the power of canceled sin and he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood availed for me. Don't let Satan tell you you've gone too far, done too much. Today is the day of salvation. You may have squandered an entire lifetime away and lived according to the flesh. But I want to tell you right now, you come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. He will save you. He will save you now. The old song says, come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. But with that being said, it is a much greater trophy of God's grace not to have been saved out of all of that and, and, and turned a deaf ear to it till you've got one foot in the grave, but to have been preserved from all of that all life long. A Daniel, a Joseph, who said, how should I sin against this, do this great thing and sin against my God? And so we teach these things so that we don't have to go to the way of the ungodly or stand in the seat of the scornful as the scripture tells us. Well, discretion is counting the cost, and wisdom is teaching our young people and all of us how to make wise decisions based upon God's word. The, the, the world says, live and learn, as if you just keep on doing that. That's foolishness, isn't it? I want to find out ahead of time what road not to take and what, what, where is the dangers and what not to buy and where not to go. And live wisely and prudently, as we've said. We think about uh, wisdom or prudence or discretion. Uh, The Bible says to walk circumspectly. That's prudent or wisely. And again, the illustration comes of a cat walking on a fence, a picket fence, with a bulldog on one side and and a Doberman on the other side. How's that cat walking? Very, very carefully. Can you see the cat just, he's putting his foot, one foot in front of the other, and is keeping his distance. Although he's found himself in a predicament, he's not going to come any closer to those, those enemies than, than they're already there. They're at bay. Well, that's, that's uh, the picture here of us walking through this dangerous world. There are landmines of sin on every footstep. Do you know there's a snare set for your trap, set for your foot today? Satan has a snare there. Your flesh will fall into it and desire it even. And the world is against you. We have these enemies, but we have God's word to lead us. We've got the, the GPS of God's word. We have his spirit. We have his, his word, the, the map to lead us home. His progress, the cat's progress may be slow, but it's sure, isn't it? And he does everything he can to, to make wise choices. Discretion doesn't mean that no one ever speaks up or is paralyzed by fear. It means making decisions with care, prudence. He that believeth shall not make haste with our eyes open, considering all the options, well, asking the right questions. What will happen one day if I go this route? Where will, it be, where will I wind up 10 years from now if I go this, stay on this road that I'm on? Some people never consider those kind of things. They just keep on keeping on like they're going. They never realize they're going to wind up somewhere. We're not just staying in one place. We're moving, drifting, like you've ever been in the, in the, the tide 
And you started out right here, and you looked up, and you were way on down the beach. Didn't realize that's what, what happened. And people just drift along. If we have discretion, we weigh what we're doing and where we're going. Wisdom gives discretion. Discretion gives direction. We live in a dangerous world, a very dangerous place. It's our enemy, filled with lies and, and scams and wicked people who would want to use you and, and to do away with you, to take advantage of you. Some would like to, to cause you to, to fall and to give, give great uh, cause, damage to the cause of Christ. We need wisdom. If you ever want to know what to pray for your pastor, would you pray that God would give me wisdom and discernment and his uh, direction, his power of the Holy Spirit? You can do that for me as much as I like pound cake and whatever else you can bring me. You pray for wisdom and I'll, I'll be okay, all right? We see in verses 12 through 15, the wicked man's way. Discretion keeps us from the wicked man's words. Verse 12, from the man that speaks perverse things. They do, don't they? Things that are not true, things that are off color, things that are opposite to the teaching of God's word. Uh, that word is per- perverse, and it occurs many times in the book of Proverbs. You'll see that word forward over and over again. It's, you just write that there. It's perverse, and every time you see it, that's what it means. The opposite of, of cleanness and holiness, and the opposite of truth, and the opposite of what God would, would say. Description, discretion will not only keep us from the wicked man's words, but it'll keep us from the wicked man's walk, the way he's headed. Now consider, everybody you see is walking somewhere, aren't they? They're headed in a direction. Stop and ask yourself the question, where is that person's soul headed? Where is, the, is their direction of their life headed toward God and holiness and the things of God and, and righteous and good things? Or is it, is it, is it questionable? Is it unclear about where that person's headed? If it's not clear, it's the wrong direction. I'll tell you that. Verse 13 tells us that wicked people leave the paths of uprightness. Now, this should not alarm us. It does. It breaks our hearts. But the Bible says that in the latter days, there'll be great apostasy, a great leaving of the paths of of righteousness. One of the things I pray for our children, I pray it for my own. I pray it for my grandchildren. They hear it every time they're in my house. They hear me pray over them. If they, they go to sleep in our house and I pray over them, they hear this in their ears. Lord, I pray that you'd save these, when I call their name at an early age, and uh, may they, they serve you all the days of their life and never depart from the ways of righteousness. Now, we can detour, can't we? We can get off. There's nothing scarier than being headed in a direction you think you're heading the right way, but somehow or another you get off path and you get lost. And people will leave the, the, the path, leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, times of apostasy. Ahitophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. You remember Bathsheba, don't you? David and Bathsheba, who she was taken advantage of and, uh, by King David. Her grandfather was Ahitophel. Now, if you're reading the record of the Old Testament, you may overlook that. But after David sinned with her, Ahithophel decided that day, when he got news of it, he decided deep in his heart that if it was the last thing he did, he would get revenge for David. Now, David's sin was grievous, should not have happened. But Ahithophel let that situation absolutely turn him to bitterness. He saw the rebelliousness in David's son. and he wait, You know, sin always waits to take advantage of the situation. David came to a weak place in his life. Absalom had seized the kingdom and would have gotten it if he could have. God allowed it for a little while. 
in ways and in, known only to him, but he cunningly worked counsel. To, he he uh, went to Absalom and said, let me tell you how you can, can win over your daddy. You see, he'd waited all these years to get even with, with David, to destroy David's kingdom. Ahithophel should have left vengeance in God's hands. You know God can take care of his children. He, he, he dealt with David, didn't he? And David never forgot all that, that the, the sin that he committed. And, and God will deal with his children. But instead, he left the paths of righteousness, Ahithophel did, to walk in the ways of darkness. And do you know how Ahithophel ended up? You need to know the whole story. The Bible always tells you everything you need to know. He ended up committing suicide, by the way. Do you see where that led him? Do you see where that path led him? Verse 14 tells us the wicked rejoice to do evil and delight in perverseness. Ahab married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of the Zidonians, who was a former priest of, uh, of Astarte, the, the vile nature goddess of Canaan. And this was the queen of Israel. Can you imagine? Ahab fell under Jezebel's spell and did whatever she wanted to. He was a puppet. She was really the king, and he did what she wanted to she planned to, and executed the murder of Naboth to get his land for her husband. Just to, if you want that, I'll get it for you. She worked it out. Godly Elijah met King Ahab and pronounced his death sentence. You know that's what preachers always do every time we preach the gospel, don't we? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. I don't care who you are. If you don't repent and believe the gospel, you're going to hell. That's what a preacher tells people. Not popular. Sounds very plain, doesn't it? The old... Uh, Circuit-riding preacher Peter Cartwright was preaching the gospel, and someone said, do you realize the president, I think it was Zachary Taylor, one of the, the presidents, is sitting, has entered the house, and he was, had already planned what he was going to preach, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. That was the text that he was taking that morning. So they thought he ought to know that the president of the United States was in there, and he said, when they said, when Peter Cartwright, that old Methodist evangelist, got up to preach, he said, I want you to know that someone has told me the President of the United States is in the House today, but I want the President of the United States to know that except you repent, you shall likewise perish. You see, that's the call of the man of God. It doesn't matter who it is, what favor, or who is it, who, what majority is there. And so uh, he had to tell the truth. Verse, so Elijah told the truth. And it continues here, the description of wicked people in verse 15, the, their ways are crooked. That's a good description, isn't it? And forward or perverse. When you want to know how crooked something is, you put something straight beside it, don't you? You put a, a straight, straight edge beside it to see how far off it is. A level, a straight edge, a, a plumb line. You put something straight beside something crooked to see how crooked it is. When you put Elijah beside Ahab, just think about those two examples there. You see what a crooked man Ahab was. After Ahab's death, the Holy Spirit records this, and we'll close. There was none likened to Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness. Can you imagine such a, pro a pronouncement? He sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. He lived a crooked life and died a violent death. You see, the wise look all the way to the end, don't we? We don't just look to right now, what feels good. There's a way that seems right. Look to the end. Well, how do you do that, Brother Lamb? You get these spectacles out right here. Put these glasses on. And look at it through God's Word. Put this, the plumb line beside it and measure it up to that. Does it, does it seem right when you put it by that? How straight is it when you put it by that right there? And that'll answer your questions. The Lord bless His Word.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you. We rejoice that your word is truth and your ways are truth. Now bless this word to our hearts today. May we live by it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.